This morning we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It will be our final week of me talking about giving uh, financially. You'll probably never hear me spend three weeks talking about giving again. Because we teach the Bible the way that we do, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, Paul has spent all of chapter 8 talking about giving. He spends all of chapter 9 talking about giving. And I have to confess, a couple of weeks ago when we started, I told you I really don't like teaching on this subject of giving. It kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And the reason it does is because I've been a part of, I won't say several, I've been in many churches where it's the emphasis of the message week after week after week, and it made me feel uncomfortable kind of sitting out there. But what the Lord kind of reminded me of is many churches are, are using emotional tactics. They're trying to get people to give, and what people need is what the God's Word says about giving. So I shouldn't feel bad about it. So at the same time, I want to remind you, hey, we're not in any financial trouble. I'm not teaching about giving because we're getting ready to close the doors. The Lord is blessing our church abundantly. You guys, as a church, are giving tremendously. We are, we are, um, we are blessed beyond means. I've told you the last two weeks, if we continue on the track we're on, we'll have our mortgage paid off by the end of the year. So that in itself is a huge blessing to the Lord. So I, I know that I'm not talking to our group, but we come across it in Scripture, and I tell you guys, keep doing what you're doing. There's no financial problems. I'm not trying to get a raise. There's no manipulation in my, in my teaching on giving for three weeks in a row. It's just simply, that's what Paul's teaching on. And i got to believe that if Paul teaches on it, it's important for us to know and apply in our life as well. So don't think there's any motivation there. In chapter 8, we learn some very important principles about giving. And I want to highlight just a few of them because we're going to carry them through into chapter 9 this morning. Paul told us the secret of giving is to first give yourself to the Lord and then to others. The secret of giving is first giving yourself to God. Once you realize that Christ died on the cross for you, you give yourself back to him. Everything you have because, becomes his and you're willing to give back to him. But he also told us, taught us something important. He taught us that a lack of financial resources is never an excuse for not giving. Some people would say, I can't afford to give, and Paul would say, you can't afford not to give. It's not about the dollar amount you're giving, it's about the heart of you giving back. It, it's a representation of, hey, Lord, I realize how much you've given me, and I'm blessed by what I have, so I'm going to give whatever amount I can back to you. It's about a condition of the heart. He wants us to give out of what we have, not out of what we don't have. It's not something, well, if the Lord gives me a million dollars, then I'll give him 10%. No, give out of what the Lord has given you and let him bless that. Paul also told us why we should give. And the simple answer is because we give to the Lord because the Lord has given himself to us. After all, who's the greatest giver? He is. He's the one that demonstrates this. He's the one that gives us the perfect example of this. And Paul went on to talk about there in chapter 8 about the accountability that he had put in place. Whenever there's finances in place, we talked about it last week, accountability is extremely important. He didn't want someone blaming his ministry. He didn't want someone saying that Paul was misappropriating the funds in some way. Remember, he was sending three guys down to Corinth. And, he's, and he told them, you guys are going to collect the money and you guys are going to take the money and you're going to bring it to Jerusalem. It's never going to touch my hands. He didn't want someone to say, Paul, Paul, you're just in this for the money. You're just trying to get a new car. Paul, and I know they didn't have cars, but you're just trying to get a new whatever you're trying to get. That, that's what Paul said. No, no, I'm going to be above reproach here. I'm going to wash my hands of the money. It is between you. It's you. These other guys that you picked, they're the ones that are going to take the money from you, and they're going to deliver it to the saints in Jerusalem. Paul was so above reproach, he didn't even want to see, receive credit for it. 
He didn't want to roll into Jerusalem with a pocket full of money going, look what I raised for you. He goes, let them give it. Let them tell you where it came from. I don't want any part of this. And what a good example that is for pastors as well. So in chapter 8, Paul instructed them on how to give. Abundantly, he talked about. And now in chapter 9, Paul's going to turn his focus more towards the heart of giving. The heart of the giver, what it should be like. Let's pick up in chapter 9, verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 5, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Now, concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians. That Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect. That... As I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and they find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be, should be ashamed of this confidence boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. The ministry that Paul was referring to there in verse 1 is the financial collection, the collecting of money for the saints in Jerusalem, for the believers in Jerusalem. About a year before Paul wrote this letter, the Corinthians had expressed interest in taking up a collection for the believers who were back in Jerusalem. They were abounding spiritually in Jerusalem, but financially they were poor. There was a famine in the land, food was scarce, food was expensive, they were hardly able to make it. Although spiritually they were growing, persecution was also on the rise, but the everyday need was hard for them to meet. They didn't have the food that they needed. So Paul starts out, he says, hey, it's superfluous for me to write you. That means it's, I really don't need to write, it's unnecessary for me to write to you. I, I, I know you already know this, but I'm going to put it down in any ways. He says, I know your willingness. In fact, I've boasted about it. I've told the other churches up in the area of Macedonia how a year ago the church in Corinth was ready to collect money for the believers in Jerusalem. I talked about it. I told them that Achaia was ready to take up this collection. Remember, just for geographical purposes, Achaia is the southern portion of Greece. It's where Corinth was located. Macedonia was the northern portion of Greece. It's where churches like Philippi, Thessalonica, it's where Berea was. That's in that northern portion as he's kind of separating the two. Now, it is possible that when Paul says this, that it's not necessary for him to write, it's possible he's being a little sarcastic. It's possible it is necessary for him to write or he wouldn't be writing at all. So it's, Paul does have a touch of sarcasm that comes out sometimes. It's possible that that, that is the case here. But it's also possible that he's trying to just uh, sort of playfully encourage the Corinthians. Hey, hey guys, I'm just going to remind you of what you said. I'm going to remind you of what you wanted to do. And now I'm sending people to you. And I don't want you to get caught in the blind. I want you to know they're coming and I want you to take up the collection before they, before they get there so that you're not embarrassed. In other words, he's kind of looking out for them in a sense. Hey, they're, they're coming and I want you to be aware of it. You see, Paul knows their good intentions and now he wants to encourage their follow-through. Good intentions don't really get us much in life, but it's our follow-through. And Paul's telling the Corinthians the same thing. Look there in verse 3 as he says it. Yet I have sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect. That as I said, you may be ready, 
lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Again, he's saying, hey, we're coming. We're on the way. Get ready for our arrival. I don't want you to end up embarrassed. I don't want to get there and go, where's the collection? And I've got these Macedonians with us who their church, who had little, the church in Corinth would be wealthier. Up in Macedonia, they were a poorer area. They had little, but they gave abundantly, Paul said. And now we come down to the Corinthians that Paul was boasting about. Eh, that's it? That's all you guys gave? There's, there's nothing here. Paul says, hey, we're coming. We're on the way. I heard your heart. Now it's time to see if you'll stand behind what you said. You don't want the Macedonians to come and find you unprepared. Paul says that'd be shameful. That'd be embarrassing. And I want to keep that from happening. Wait a minute. Wouldn't this be kind of manipulative of the Apostle Paul? Wouldn't he be kind of throwing up what they said in their face? Is he trying to manipulate them? I don't think so. I don't think he's manipulating them at all. I think he's challenging them to follow through. I think he's challenged them in that kind of a peer pressure sort of way where, hey, you guys said you wanted to do this. There's a need here. I've boasted about it, and I just don't want you to be embarrassed about it. I want you to follow through on what you said. And he playfully reminds them of their promise. He's encouraging them to fulfill their desire to give. And he's also warning them to protect them from the embarrassment that might come if they don't fulfill their desire to give. What a good shepherd that is. What a good care. What a heart for the people. Look at verse 5. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time. It's coming earlier. And prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Paul says, I want the whole collection taken up before we get there. I want you to take the offering before we get there. He didn't want the people giving out of grudging obligation. In other words, Paul's here. Uh-oh, we've got to impress the Apostle Paul. We want to impress him, so now we're all going to give. Do you realize that is a motivation for giving? People will give because they're impressed with, they want to impress the person next to them. They, will, they want to impress the, the, the pastor or the church or whoever it is they want to impress. The, they, that's a reason that people will give sometimes. Some, like I said before, some people pass the plate. Nothing unbiblical about that. Other people pass the people. The people get up and they walk up and they, they file through and they drop money in an offering box up front. And it is, it is proven that if you have people get out of their seat and come forward and give money in an offering box, you will increase your offerings by 40%. Or I think it was 43% is what the number was. It's ridiculous. What are they doing? They're using the peer pressure to say, hey, I want you to give because everyone walks by and there you go. What did you give? And the pastor can sit up there and look and the person behind you and in front of you can see what you give. That's grudging obligation. That's the wrong heart. Paul's saying very clearly here, I want you to be ready as a matter of generosity. I want it to be because you want to. Generosity, not a grudging obligation. This word for grudging obligation, it means to take advantage of someone. It means to take advantage of someone. Whether you're trying to take advantage of the pastor who sees you so he'll, he'll think better of you, it's usually resulted of a motivational greed. But even worse, sometimes people want to take advantage of God himself. They give for the wrong reason. Sometimes Christians want to take advantage of God. There's no desire, there's no appreciation for what God gave them. They don't just really want to give back to, to bless him. You see, they want to treat God like an investment. Wait a minute, I heard there's a 10% return. If I give money to God, then he's got to give me back. Therefore, I don't really care about God. What I care about is my return on investment. 
I want to see how much God will give me back. It's what many of the health and wealth and prosperity teachers rely upon. They'll tell you to plant a seed of faith and God will give you back ten times. Plant, plant this, put this out there. Let God return it to you ten times. And Malachi chapter 3 says, yeah, you can test God on this. But what he, they, they fail to tell you, it's a condition of your heart. You see, if I'm taking advantage of God just to give so that I can get, I'm not really giving for the right reasons. <coughs> that would be giving selfishly. That would be giving not generously. It's giving because I want more. It's about myself. And God doesn't need our money. I've told you that. But see, some people give to the TV preacher or some people give to the church for the same reason they buy that late-night real estate program that you can watch on TV. You ever seen that? For $199.95, you can buy their real estate program and you can buy houses for no money down. And they're going to do all that for you. Do you know who gets rich off those programs? The people selling the $199 program or whatever it costs on TV. Well, TV preachers, they, 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 they exploit the same thing. You give to God, he's going to give back to you. Someone says, I'm going to throw a 10 in. I'm going to give an investment to God. Let's see what I get back. But that's the wrong heart. You see, when the Lord blesses you for your financial gift, it's going to be financially, but it's also going to be spiritually. The blessing comes in many different forms. Today's first biblical principle on giving that Paul mentions here is giving, your giving, should be pre-planned as a matter of generosity and not as a matter of grudging obligation. I would encourage you to have your giving pre-planned. Write your check before you come to church. Now, I know sometimes we forget. It's not a big deal. But try to figure out if you're going to give before you get here. Don't, don't do it based on an emotion. See, giving has more to do with our attitude of giving than it does with the amount that we give. Our attitude should be willing, and we should never give out of obligation. And if your giving is preplanned, you have a chance to pray about it. You have a chance to seek the Lord about it. Lord, what do you want me to give? How much should I give? How, how do I know what to give? You won't be moved by emotion. When it comes to our church, make it pre-planned. Decide what you're going to give before you even show up in the morning. Decide, decide. sometimes you people do it, I'm going to give this much every week for a year or a month or however. Have a plan. Make it pre-planned. Don't just, don't just give out of emotion. Don't just think, oh, I like the message, I'll throw a 20 in. Oh, I didn't like the message, I'm only going to give them five this week. No, no, it's, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with you giving to the Lord. It's, it's, that's the way it goes. Well, if I don't throw a 20 in, the, the, the church will close. No, the church will never close because you fail to give. That's, that's not, God has all that we need, and God will provide for all of our needs, both as a ministry as well as individually when we give to him. It doesn't rely, it doesn't depend on anybody's one personal check. You see, Paul doesn't want the church, he didn't want to be manipulating the people of Corinth. Have you noticed when we have a guest speaker that I don't take a love offering for them? We don't. I don't, let a, I don't let a missionary come in and pass a plate. We don't have any plates to pass, that's what I tell them. But the truth is, I want you to go home and pray about supporting their ministry. If the Lord wants you to give, then you look them, on, you look them up online, you support them, and you give to them on your own. I don't want someone just going, all right, well, there's a, there's a guest pastor and his ministry sounds kind of cool. Let's all just throw a 20 in the, in the plate for him and he can make off with, you know, whatever he makes off for the day. No, that, that, that's, to me, that's kind of like, well, you're giving out of obligation. Go home, pray about it. See what the Lord wants you to do. Because you might only throw a 20 in today and go, I'm done. The Lord might go, no, 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 no. I want you to support them monthly for a much larger amount. You see, when you give out of obligation, you, just might, you might appease your conscience, but that's not what the Lord has for you. He, wants, he may want something more for you. It's between you and the Lord. The next principle of biblical giving, it's right there in verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Again, Paul's using an agricultural example. Doesn't it make sense? The size of the harvest is directly proportionate to the amount of seed that is sown or planted. If a farmer only sows a few seeds, a few tomato seeds, how many tomato plants is he going to get? A few, maybe. How much tomato, how much crop is he going to get? Only a little bit. But if he sows lots of tomato seeds, how many tomato plants is he going to get? Lots of tomato plants. How much crop is he going to get? Lots of, a much larger crop. In the spiritual realm, the principle is this, that giving to God results in blessings from God. Generous givers will reap more. Those that are stingy, they'll reap less. That's what, the, that's what this principle that the Bible's teaching here. You see, I also know that this is the area of Scripture where you might hear someone say, give your seed of faith. Plant a seed of faith and, and send $20 to me and I'll, send, I'll pray about it and I'll send you my prayer cloth and you get your prayer cloth back and then it's going to bring you all kinds of blessings. No, 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 no. No, no. That, that's what, what our, our seeds of, we, we're not, that, that, that's giving for the wrong reasons. That's giving for a selfish return. That's using God as an investment or a broker or trying to make you money. You give to the Lord and he will return it to you. No one will ever be in debt, or let me put it, back it up. God will never be in debt to anyone because you've given him something. You will always get it back bountifully, but it may not always be dollars and cents. You see, sometimes the Lord gives back in ways that we can't even measure. Maybe he keeps your transmission in your car running a little bit longer. Maybe it doesn't break down. Maybe your hot water heater is going to last a few extra years. And he's saving you money and you don't even realize it. You see, we don't always measure what God gives us in dollars, in cents. These blessings from God come in many different forms. Sure, they might be financial in nature, but many times they're not financial in nature. It's important for us to know that this is a promise from God. This is a promise. This is one you can write on your wall. If I sow much, I will reap much. If I sow little, I will reap little. If I give a lot to the Lord, I'm going to get a lot more blessings back from him. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't think of it just financially. Think of it in more ways than that. And also consider the fact that your blessings won't only come here on this earth, they will come into eternity as well. But we don't have that right now. I want it now. That's what our culture says. No, no. It is much better to store up your, your savings account in eternity than it is to store up a savings account here on this earth. Because when you die, you get to leave your savings account to somebody else and they're going to blow it. But if you put it up there, it's yours for all of eternity. And no one will take it away. There's a, there's no, you're not going to lose it. The market's not going to fall. You don't have to worry about your IRA decreasing in value. It's up there forever in eternity. What a beautiful opportunity. What a beautiful promise we have. Jesus kind of talked about this. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. He said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now, he didn't mean that if you gave up your house, you're going to get a hundred new houses. That's not the concept. He, but what he's saying is whatever the value of that was to you that you gave up, you're going to get something much more valuable. See the difference? It's not about the houses or the... You're not going to get 100 new wives or 100 new brothers or 100 new sisters. Or, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about he's, you're going to be blessed. You will never be on the losing end when you give to the Lord. That's the promise that he's giving out. 
You may not see all the Lord gives you in return, but you can rest in the promise that if I've sown much, the harvest will be great, both now and in eternity. We will never, ever, ever be shorted in your blessings of giving. No one will ever say, I gave to the Lord and I didn't get back. You may not see it now, but I promise you in eternity you will be blessed. But how much should I give? There in verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Every Christian should be a giver, but every Christian should give with the right heart. How much should they give? What, what you purpose in your heart. Well, I heard that I have to give 10% as a Christian. Hey, if you purpose in your heart to give 10%, God bless you. But we've already talked about that in the previous. Nowhere in the New Testament are you going to find a 10% tithe required upon believers. And I realize that some people go, That's, that, my other church taught me this, or my pastor says that. And pastors might hear this and go, wait a minute, you're going to decrease our, you're gonna, you're gonna, our, our, our giving's going to go down. No, I, I don't think it will. You see, I think the 10% tithe, I think it's a problem. Because I think that some people are limited to 10%. They could give lots more, but they feel like they give 10% now, then they're good. And other people, you've strapped with a burden they can never, ever reach. Because they can't possibly give 10%. They, they can't, they, they, they couldn't, they could, they, they're giving up food for something not like that. That's why I think the beautiful picture here is everybody's going to be a giver. We should be a giver. But give as you've purposed in your heart. Treat your giving to the Lord. Lord, how much do you want me to give? Or would you give me an amount that you want me to give? And if it's $5 a week or $5 a month or 25 cents, give that steadily. You predetermined to give it to the Lord. And whether it's at this church, whether it's another ministry, whether and I, and I do believe you're called to support our, the, the, the place that you're fed, the storehouse, the home, the home church. I believe that's where you called first. If you listen on the radio station, we'll always ask for donations after you've supported your home church. You know, because we want, the, we want the home church supported. But then sometimes the Lord calls us to give more. But it should all be predetermined. It shouldn't be out of obligation. Sometimes radio stations do pledge drives. And they talk about, they, sh they, they share success stories. And they, it's, it's their fundraisers. We don't do a fundraiser. Never do we do a fundraiser on our radio station. We could raise more money doing a fundraiser. But instead, we'd rather go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know our needs. You know what this station needs and what it doesn't need, and we don't want anything that we're not supposed to have, and we just ask that you continue to provide for the financial uh, means of that we need to stay on the air. And you know what? He does. Faithfully. He does faithfully. And what a blessing that is because it's not mankind moving emotionally on someone's heart saying, we're, you know, without your $40, we can't stay on the air. No, no. If God wants us on the air, we don't have to worry about your $40. If you, if you give it, that you get to be blessed by it, but he's going to provide for us if we're supposed to be there. And that frees you to come up to church, come into church and not have to worry about, hey, I'm going to get beaten up for money. You see, I'm talking about giving and telling you if you didn't plan on giving this morning, don't give. That's, it's, that's real simple. Rob, you're, you're, you could make more money. It's not about making money. It's about teaching the word of God. And the word of God says, make your giving preplanned. Don't do it out of emotion like that. Paul tells us again, don't give grudgingly or of necessity. But notice the last part in verse 7, how should we should give. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Cheerfully is how we should give. If you don't want to give, don't give. If you can't give cheerfully, keep it. It's okay. No one's going to be hurt by it. And by the way, that word for cheer, the, the Greek word for cheerful, it's hilaros. 
That's where we get our English word, hilarious. God wants you to give hilariously. Now, now, see, you go think, well, he just wants me to give everything I've got in my wallet. No, no, it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. He wants you to be able to give to him and it create that hilarious feel. Have you ever laughed uncontrollably? Every once in a while in life, you get that, that, that thing that makes you laugh and you just can't stop. That's hilarious. That, that's the feeling he wants you to give when you give to him. You know, some people say, no, he wants you to give hilariously. That means you've got to give so much that it's funny. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. You, you, you give, give all that you have because it's, it'll be funny. No, no, that's not, no, no. He wants you to give and have that hilarious, that laughter, that joy feeling in your heart going, wow, this is amazing. It's not the dollar amount. Some people may only be able to give a single dollar and they can still give it hilariously. And others may be able to give thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and they can still give it hilariously. What an amazing thing. Adam Clark said this, he tied it perfectly back to the culture. The Jews had in the temple two chests for alms. One was, what was, of, one was for necessity, the required giving, what the law required. The other was of the free will offerings, the stuff you just wanted to give because. To escape perdition, to fulfill their obligation, some would grudgingly give only what was necessary. But others would give to the free will offering. They'd give cheerfully for the love of God and to help those that are poor. And do you realize of those that gave strictly out of necessity, nothing is ever said. But of the second, those who gave cheerfully, it says God loves them. God loves a cheerful giver. You, you, you put a smile on God's face when you can give cheerfully, when you give with the right heart. You know, and I found in my life, I don't have to look for places to give. God just, really, he'll just let me know where, when and where it's time to give. There's a certain amount that we give monthly to the church, but there's also other places throughout life. You just walk through the day. I want you to help that person. I want you to give here. I want you to give there. I want you to, my, Rebecca was doing something recently and, and she felt the Lord, I, I wanted her to give to, to something that she had just read about. So she gave, she did, you know, she just gave, you know, it's just, he'll, he'll let you know where you want to get, where, where he needs you to give or where he wants you to give. And then you have the ability to give cheerfully or I don't want to do that. That means I can't have my Starbucks coffee later. Or that means I can't go here. Or that means I, I might not get to go on vacation or it might cost me something. That's the idea. Giving to the Lord should cost us something. It, it really should be. David, when he bought the location for the temple, where, where, where he was going to build the temple, the guy said, you can have it for free. And what did David say? I will not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. And he paid full price for it. It should cost us something. And do you know who the best example of the giving is? Jesus. He gave all. He gave graciously. He gave cheerfully. He gave abundantly. He's our best example. You know, it's kind of funny. As a dad, most of you guys know I got three boys and a girl. We have four kids. I want to bless my children abundantly. But I always struggle with the point, how much is too much? If I give them too much, then I'm, t I'm not teaching the right work ethic. I don't want them to become lazy. I want them to understand you have to work. You know, life is about work, and I have to accomplish things. I have to work for things, and I want to teach them to give, but I don't want to require them to give. You know, so as I talk with them, I share those things. It's, it's, it's always that fine line. How much can you give your kids without hurting them? God doesn't have that problem. He knows exactly how much he can give you without hurting you. He knows exactly how much to bless you with, and if he was to go 
one more step, you wouldn't be prepared for it. That's the amazing thing. He knows exactly what we need and what we don't need. In verses 8 and 9, Paul tells the Corinthians why that they should give cheerfully. He said, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. When you give to the Lord, and I say give to the Lord, it doesn't matter what ministry you support, when you give, or whether to a person, when you give to the Lord, you have to remember you're giving to God. You know, when you, you know, I, I, several years ago I was part of a church and I, and I gave to the church and I got involved in the church and I realized that there was, there was some things that I didn't like that were happening in the church financially. And I, I, at one point I said, well, I'm going to stop giving. And the Lord convicted me, are you giving to the church or are you giving to me? If you're giving to me, let the church do what it's going to do. I will handle that, whether now or in eternity. And I realized I wasn't giving to God, I was giving to a church. And I, I had to be convicted of that. I had to, had to realize, no, no, what I give, depending on, it's not, it's not about where I give, it's about my heart. I'm giving back to the Lord. And yours should be the same way. When you're giving to the Lord, you're giving to the one who can make all grace abound towards you that has made grace abound towards you. And notice what it says. It says that you will have all sufficiency in all things. When you give to the Lord, you will have all sufficiency in all things. The word for sufficiency, it's also translated contentment. Contentment, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Same word there for sufficiency, for contentment. One commentator pointed out, he said, God gives a special gift to the giving heart. Contentment. All sufficiency. All that you need. Contentment. Sufficiency doesn't mean you'll have everything you want. It doesn't mean I'll have every single possible thing I could ever want. It means I'll be content with what I have. It means there's contentment with what I have. Yet another promise of God. When you give to the Lord, you will have contentment. You will have sufficiency in all things. Now, I need to be clear on something. Contentment doesn't mean that all of your desires just simply vanish away, and that you never want another thing ever again. It just means that the desires of your heart, those things that you might want, they are not tied to the joy and the happiness in your life. You see, we're pilgrims on this earth. We're content here. I am perfectly content fulfilling the reason that God has me here, waiting on his return, looking forward to him. But I'm looking forward to what's coming. I'm content here, but I'm looking forward to what's coming. You can be content driving a beat-up old car, looking forward to the day that you graduate college, get a job, and can buy another one. That's okay. That, it's, that, 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 contentment doesn't mean I have no more wants or no more aspirations. I'm just going through life, never looking at anything else. That's not what it means. It means that I can find joy right where I'm at, and my joy is not tied to the thing that I need to bring into my life. Now, do you realize that there is a multi-billion dollar industry to teach you something different? It's called advertising. <laughs> they want to tell you what you need to be happy, to be content. If you'll buy this product, then you'll be content. If you'll get the TV package with 437 channels, then you'll find something to watch. If you'll use this toothpaste, you'll look like the model on the cover of the magazine. No, you won't. Her teeth aren't that white because of that toothpaste. She had the bleaching stuff done. 
You see, but we, we buy into that. See, what Paul's saying here, if you're a giver to the Lord, you're going to find contentment in your life. But the opposite's also true. If you've been struggling with contentment, if you've been finding yourself not happy, I'm, I'm never content, I don't understand why, I, 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 everyone's got it better than me, everyone's doing better than me, I would ask you this question. Are you giving back of what the Lord has given you, or are you hoarding it all for yourself, trying to make yourself happy? In other words, you work, you earn some money. Are you giving back to him? Are you giving back? Or is it, no, no, I, I would give back, but I don't have enough money. You don't have enough money for what? To make me happy. I don't have enough money to get what I want. If I did, then I could give back. Well, let me tell you something. You're never going to have enough to make you happy. Because those of you that have gone through life, you start out, you don't have anything, you go through college or you get a job, you start working a career. Before you know it, you're done. You've got money and you've, you've, you've done well for yourself. You're still, it doesn't bring contentment because there's always something. There's always a better car. There's always a bigger house. There's always a boat. There's always a new hobby. There's always a toy that you think, oh, that'll make me happy, a new outfit or whatever it is. And you're not going to find contentment there. It, it, it doesn't exist. But Paul's telling us where you can find it. It's by giving. You see, when you're willing to cheerfully part with what you have, you've come to the place where the things of the world don't hold those strings of happiness in your heart. I'll give it back to you, Lord. I don't need it that much because I realize my happiness, my joy, my contentment is found in you, not in the size of my wallet or my bank account or my IRA. What a great place that is to be for a believer. We will give it all back to him. Do you also realize that contentment is better than riches? It's better than riches. It's a content person is more wealthy than the wealthiest people. Money will always leave you wanting more. It'll always leave you thinking someone's trying to steal it. It'll always think, leave you think someone's out to get you. But contentment is the place where your joy and happiness can be found. And Paul says that comes from giving. Now, I don't know who, I don't, I, do you guys know who Warren Buffett is? The, the investor? I don't know him personally, never met the guy at all. I don't know anything about him. I know the, he's worth about $84 billion. Okay, and I know he's not even the richest guy in the world, but he's worth about $84 billion. Do you realize if he's not content... He's just as unhappy as the guy who's in debt and can't afford to buy, pay for his car or his house. It, 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 without the contentment, the money means nothing. And I know that we believe the lie goes, well, if I had only one billion, then I'd be content. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you can't be content with what you have sitting here today, you wouldn't be content with another billion dollars in your bank account. Oh, for a season, maybe. Oh, you'd be happy for, for a season. Oh, yeah, cool, I won the lottery. What happens to most of the lottery winners? They end up bankrupt. They go broke. Because they, don't, they weren't content before, that's why they're playing the lottery. For a dollar, I can get rich. I'll send my dollar to the lottery, I'll send five to the TV preacher, and I'll buy the real estate program online. And they're still not content. They're still looking for the next get-rich-quick scheme. The Lord has promised sufficiency in all things. But notice why. There at the end of verse 8, so that we may have an abundance for every good work. God blesses us materially. He blesses us spiritually. So we will have an abundance for every good work. Why? We are blessed so we can bless others. We are not called to be reservoirs of God's blessing. We're called to be canals. Let channel it through from us to other people, back to him. We don't, we're not called to hoard everything. Sometimes we do that. And we use the excuse, well, we don't have anything. God wants us to be these channels of blessing. It comes from him. We realize it's from him. We have the relationship, the connection, and now we're willing to give back 
out to other people. It's amazing how he's got it set up. But yet somehow we want to dam it up and say, no, we're going to put a dam in this canal and it's all staying here with me because I need it. It's like the farmer who stores up a bunch of seeds. I've got all these seeds I'm going to plant, but I'm only going to plant a few because I don't want to give up my seeds. What did the, what did the, what did the promise say? If you sow much, you'll reap much. No, no, but then I won't have any seeds. So the seeds are going to rot in your barn. And pretty soon they won't be any good at all. And they've just, but yeah, you've got a whole pile full of seeds, but you never sowed them. You never sowed them. In verse 10, Paul begins to pray for the Corinthians. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Earlier, Paul told us, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, he just told you who provides the seed. The seeds that are being sown, where does it come from? The Lord is the one who provides what we have to give back to him. The Lord is the one who provides the bread that you eat. The Lord is the one who provides the seed of the harvest. Whatever we have to give first came from him. And I know the argument is, no, no, you don't understand. I'm a self-made man. I worked for this money. I worked for this. I worked hard. I labored for this. If you're strong enough to labor, it's because he gave you the muscles and the strength to do that. If you hold a stressful, high-paying job and make decisions, it's because he gave you the ability to handle that. If you're intelligent and you're a rocket scientist and you can you know, send people to the moon and all that stuff, it's because he gave you the mind to be able to do that. You can't even control the breath in your lungs for one more breath. He has it all. He's given it all to us. As believers, we need to come to the place. It all belongs to him. I get to be blessed with it while I'm here, whatever he's given me. He's not going to give me more than I can handle. He's not going to bless me something that will hurt me. But I need to be willing to give back of what he gave me. Don't just hoard the seed. The Lord's given it to us so that we can sow it bountifully. And Paul's praying for the Lord to provide the resources to the Corinthians so they may multiply what they give. Think of it this way. When you give to the Lord, you're sowing seeds. You're sowing seeds. And the promise says, the more I sow, the more I reap. And don't just measure that in dollars and cents. The more you reap, the more I have to give back out. I heard a, uh, I read a story one time of a guy who wanted to start a company, and he did, and he told the Lord, he said, I'm going to start this company, and I'm going to keep 10% of the profits. I'm going to give you 90% of what it makes, but I'll I'll keep 10, I'll give you 90, this whole entire company. And he did, this company built, it became a big company, and eventually it was sold for millions and millions of dollars. Most of you guys know it as Quaker Oats. That was the company. The guy that started that started it saying he would keep 10% of what was made, and he gave the Lord 90%. And the Lord took the company, he maintained that throughout, sold it, and the Lord was blessed by it. And he lived pretty comfortably on 10% of what Quaker Oats makes, don't you think? It's an amazing concept, it's an amazing principle. As we come to the final verse of chapter 9, I want you to see what your giving causes in other, final verses here in chapter 9, your giving's going to cause something to happen in other people. When you give to the Lord and to other people, this is what happens in their life. Verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints. So the first thing that we see there is you, when you give, you're providing needs. You're supplying the needs of other people. But also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. When someone's need is met, it causes them to praise the Lord. It causes them to praise God. 
Verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. Your, your giving, he's saying, is a demonstration of your salvation. It's because it's, it's proof that Christ is in you because you want to give back. It's, just, it's, just, it's, a, it's a symptom. Too often it's been taught as a requirement. It's not a requirement, it's a symptom of our salvation. Don't ever give out of requirement. That's, don't, that's giving grudgingly. Give because I can't believe what God has given me. Lord, I can't believe that I went to work this week and you blessed me with this paycheck and I just want to give back to you. I just want to give back to you somehow. I just want to give this much back to you, Lord, between you and him. You see, that's why it's so great when it's only between you and him. When it, that, that's why I don't have anything to do with the offering because it's between you and him. I don't want to know how much you give. I don't care how much you give. It's between you and him. It also would expose any false motives. And there in verse 14, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of exceedingly, exceeding grace of God in you. Your giving helps people meet their needs and it's going to cause them to pray for you. Think about that. You give, you support, people are helped. As a response, they go, I want to pray for those people that gave to me. I want to pray for them. I want, I want to be able to bless them. And I can pray for them. Who doesn't need more prayer in their life? Who doesn't need more people praying for them? We all need people praying for us. Because that's, that's part of what giving produces in somebody's life. That's what it is. And then the final verse there in 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Indescribable gift. And although these last two chapters have been about giving... Paul wants us to remember that God gives us an indescribable gift. I found it interesting as I studied that Greek word for indescribable. It seems like Paul made that word up. It didn't really exist. It's never used beforehand. It's never used in Greek literature outside of the Bible. Never used in Koine Greek anywhere else except for here is the first place it's used. It seems that Paul made this word up because he didn't know how else to say. So he made it indescribable. That's how we translate it. I just, I'm just going to make up a word because I really can't. All the words we have don't really describe it. Have you ever felt that way about the Lord? Lord, I really can't describe you. I can't really describe, I mean, I can say thank you, but that's what I say when someone, you know, picks up something I dropped. That's not the same thank you as I, the, the God who went on the cross for my sins and saved me from hell and damnation and promised me eternal life and now says, listen, if you'll give, I'll give you contentment as a result of it. There's a different kind of thank you. Paul makes this word up. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is it? What's that gift? Salvation through Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ. It's salvation. It's what we have through Jesus Christ. It is why we focus on what we do here in our fellowship. It's all about Christ. It's not about me. It's not about the radio station. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's all about Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if you preach Christ... You will never run short. If you have preached 10,000 sermons about Christ, you have not left the shore. You are not out in, deep, in the deep sea yet. Dive, my brother, with splendor of thought. Plunge into the great mystery of free grace and dying love. And when you have dived the farthest, you will perceive that you are as far off the bottom as when you first touched the surface. In other words, you can dive as deep as you want into Christ. And when you think you've gone as deep as you can... You haven't even got, you haven't even left the surface. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ and what he's done for us. Close our 
little three-week series on giving with this reminder. God loves a cheerful giver. If you can't give cheerfully, really don't. But yet at the same time, I want to say if you're struggling with contentment in your life, are you giving back to the Lord? Because we read that promise. You'll find contentment when you realize it's not yours, it's his. And I don't say that to raise money for the church. I say that because I realize in my own life I've lived this and I see the blessings that giving has. Let's pray. Lord, would you be the one that directs our giving? May we never be motivated out of an emotional response. May we never be compelled to give. Lord, may our giving always be with a cheerful heart. And Lord, may we find this contentment that you're talking about. You say you'll supply all of our needs. Lord, may we be willing as people of God, of Christians, to come to you and say, Lord, what do you want me to give? May we not be burdened with the standard of 10%. But may we open up our heart and say, Lord, I want to give hilariously. I want to give joyfully and cheerfully to you. Lord, all that we have belongs to you. May we come to that realization. In Jesus' name, amen.